Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, a top Minnesota political analyst helps us make sense of the impeachment inquiry. Health officials have growing concerns on the possible link between vaping and lung disease, and the twins clinch the division. But first... Young people's concern about climate change remained front and center this week on the state and national stages. MNN's Bill Werner has a report. The political reverberations from last week's international youth climate strike continued echoing this week in Washington, D.C. and at the Minnesota Capitol. The politicians are a little older. They're not thinking of the younger people. It's not on their priority list. Um, It's really going to affect all of us. We're going to see some really ugly things if there aren't some changes. Minnesota this week joined nearly two dozen other states, including California, that are fighting the Trump administration, which wants to ban states from setting their own standards to encourage more low and zero emission vehicles. Attorney General Keith Ellison was already, along with other states, suing to block the Trump administration. Governor Tim Walz this week upped the ante, directing the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency to set new regulations requiring manufacturers reduce emissions in total across all types of vehicles that they sell in Minnesota. If they want to sell a vehicle that has three miles to the gallon and the emissions are obviously up, they've got to balance that out by selling the numbers to be able to bring that number down over the entire fleet. And that has worked uh, in these 13 states. It has not only worked in the reduction of emissions reductions, um, greater gas mileage, the 88 billions in savings, um, it's working economically because consumers are now given a choice. Senate Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka responds, The governor does not get to unilaterally dictate what kind of cars we choose to drive in Minnesota. And that is, if, if you're right now on the road, is about 3,000 electric cars, and his proposal would have 750,000 electric uh, cars by within the next 11 years, and that's just not reality. Just to be clear, if your work or your personal lifestyle wants you to go out and buy a larger SUV or a truck, those will be made available also, and nothing we do restricts that. This is done at the manufacturing level. You're not going to have to stop in and get a tailpipe emission test. I heard him say, if you like your 150, you can keep your 150, F-150, the pickup. You know, that sounds a lot like if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. It, it sounded really nice, uh, but when you actually have to implement things, uh, it doesn't go quite the way you planned. And so we do need to focus on, on clean energy, but uh, the direction he's going both unilaterally and, and the aggressiveness of it would not be good for Minnesota. The governor says about the Trump administration's efforts to ban states from setting their own vehicle emission standards. They will not win in court. It is a, uh, it is a blatant... Uh, Bush. The only people happy about the decision that they made were the oil companies. Um, obviously, it's to their advantage that we get four miles to the gallon, and they're, they're not all that concerned about mm-hmm. tailpipe emissions. Mm-hmm. We are not talking and regulating gas mileage here. We're talking about health of our citizens. States' rights have the ability to do this, um, so we will do it. Well, I can tell you Senate Republicans will not stand for it. Uh, we have the majority in the Senate, and we will absolutely push back uh, because, like I said, the uh, government telling the people what to do is a whole lot different than the people deciding what's best for themselves. And so I think we would naturally will have more electric cars and people will go towards them as the price gets cheaper and 
the length of miles they can drive gets longer and they work better in the wintertime. Uh, but to start forcing people down that path before we're ready is, is what I'm in strong opposition to. That's Minnesota Senate Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka. And lawmakers remain stalemated over an assistance program for Minnesotans who cannot afford insulin. That after a state Senate hearing this week when Republicans presented their plan and Democrats raised numerous objections. GOP lawmakers want to require insulin manufacturers to provide free insulin for an extended period of time to those who can't afford it. Democrat John Marty from Roseville asked, why go that route? after a working group over the summer hammered out most details for a state-run insulin assistance program. Did you feel we weren't making progress next? Because there was pretty much agreement on everything over one, except one major point, and that is who pays for it. Republican Eric Pratt from Prior Lake responded his bill makes sure patients have insulin until they're enrolled in an insurance program, not just an emergency supply. If we can resolve before that patient is in crisis, before that patient is down to their last few doses and has to decide whether or not to ration. Wouldn't you agree that's a better option? But Nicole Smith-Holt, whose son died because he could not afford insulin, warned lawmakers about problems if drug makers provide free insulin, which goes to patients through their doctors. Rural Minnesota has a lack of care providers. Endocrinologists are scarce. General practitioners are not always comfortable with insulin. Smith-Holt says an emergency assistance program should be handled through pharmacies. The insulin issue has been stalemated since late May when a deal fell apart in the closing hours of the special legislative session. GOP Senator Jim Abler from Anoka warned colleagues on both sides of the aisle. If one more person in Minnesota dies because the system was unable to come to an agreement on helping that person, we have failed. And there'll be plenty of blame to go around. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Don't you wish that getting your child to eat right, move more, and spend less time in front of a screen could be as easy as pushing a button? It might not be that simple, but you do have more power than you know. And you can maximize that power with proven strategies, tips, and tools from the National Institutes of Health's We Can, or Ways to Enhance Children's Activity and Nutrition program. We Can offers all kinds of resources, including fun recipes and activities the family can do together to show you the way to live a healthier lifestyle. We're not saying it's easy. We are saying that it can be done. Take the first step today. Call 1-866-359-3226 for a free We Can Parents Handbook. And be sure to visit the We Can website at wecan.nhlbi.nih.gov for free information, too. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. The finger-pointing in Washington continues as lawmakers grapple with a House impeachment inquiry. That's amid allegations that President Trump called on the Ukraine president to investigate former Vice President Joe Biden and his son Hunter. The whole situation has a lot of moving parts, so I chatted with Carleton College political science professor Stephen Shearer for a basic lesson on what's going on, starting with this week's whistleblower complaint. 
Well, uh, there are four things that I think show up in the whistleblower report. The first question that comes to mind immediately is, who is this whistleblower? I think it's very unlikely that uh, that whistleblower will be able to remain confidential given the importance of this report to possible impeachment proceedings. Second of all, um, all the evidence in the whistleblower's report seems to come from second- and third-hand sources. And they sound ominous, but it's hard to know uh, the quality of the evidence since uh, the whistleblower, him or herself, uh, did not directly uh, gather any of the evidence. So that will require investigation, the quality of the evidence in the report. Third, the report really talks about a variety of uh, executive branch officials who were concerned about the president's conversation uh, with the Ukrainian president. Uh, It seems to me you will now have to investigate who these uh, uh, people were who had those concerns, identify them, and find out the nature of their concerns, because they are mentioned all anonymously in this whistleblower report, and you'll need to find out about their credibility by finding out who they are. Fourth, and I think this is the most troubling thing for the president, is that the report uh, chronicles a variety of activities uh, with the Ukrainian officials uh, by uh, former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani, who does not have an official position in the administration. Uh, what was he doing? Was it ethically questionable? Uh, they'll, uh, the impeachment investigation will have to explore that, and will have to, I think, interrogate Giuliani uh, extensively. So there are a whole bunch of evidentiary avenues that are at best unclear here that will have to be explored thoroughly. What this suggests is that it will take a while for any sort of impeachment-related inquiry to get through all this. You have to keep in mind that the 1998 impeachment inquiry involving uh, President Clinton uh, took about six months. And if that's the case this time, we will be into March or April of next year in the middle of a presidential election season by the time the House actually gets to the point where it might uh, uh, actually vote on impeachment uh, matters. So uh, there's a lot here that remains to be explored and a lot of uncertainties about the evidence. Who's happier today, Democrats or Republicans, since the reports come out? Uh, you know, this is more of the same. I think you'll see that Democrats and uh, Democrats will say, "Ah, see, we've got all this evidence we have to amass," and perhaps that will lead to something more definitive about the president. Republicans will probably say, "Well, this is all second or third hearsay, and uh, where is the evidence? Where's the smoking gun?" So I think you'll see a, a predictable partisan division about this. I don't think this really moves the needle in any dramatic direction. And of course, the president is calling these allegations, uh, again, a witch hunt. That is a a claim he has made in the past with regard to the Mueller investigation and and several other claims against him. Um, Is this a witch hunt, in your opinion? Uh, Well, I think witch hunt, you know, it's typical of the charged rhetoric the president uses. He certainly believes that Democrats have been after him for a long time. On the other hand, it's hard to defend what he said to the president of the Ukraine. Uh, uh, But I think the public will uh, spend some time thinking about whether that's enough to remove a president from office.
And for folks like me that uh, that need the sort of 101 course on impeachment, what exactly is an impeachment inquiry? Well, first of all, you, the House as a majority has to vote for an impeachment inquiry. Then they have to either create a special committee or require the Judiciary Committee to begin that inquiry. Then uh, the committee has to pass uh, articles of impeachment. They have to go to the House floor and pass by majority vote. And then it goes to the Senate for a trial, and two-thirds of the Senate have to vote in support of, of uh, impeachment in order to convict the president and remove him from office. In practical terms, that means that 40% of the Republican senators in the U.S. Senate have to vote to remove their Republican president from office. Now, Democrats did not do that to Bill Clinton in 1998, and it's going to be very uh, unlikely, I think, that you'll get so many Republican uh, senators voting to remove uh, President Trump from office based on the evidence we have before us now. Thank you to my guest, Carleton College political science professor Stephen Shear. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Cases of vaping-related lung disease continue to climb across the state. Tasha Radel has the latest on the State Department of Health's investigation. That's right, Scott. The multi-state vaping epidemic continues to grow. Joining me with the latest on the investigation here at home is Rich Danilla with the Minnesota Department of Health. We continue to see uh, new reports each day of, of additional new cases of um, severe lung injury associated with vaping. Uh, actually, as of this morning, we have uh, 45 confirmed and probable cases and an additional 22 cases that are under active investigation. Um, of, you know, of those 45, 44 of those 45 were hospitalized, and um, about half of them were actually admitted to the uh, intensive care unit. So some very severe illnesses, and we had one fatality that we had previously reported um, you know, most of our cases are, you know, are very, are very young. The, the mean age is 26. Uh, about two-thirds are men, male. Um, age range is 15 to uh, greater than 65 years of age. I can also say is that, you know, among those 45 cases, we have either interviewed um, 23 and or reviewed medical records on an additional 18 and so of those 41 that we've either interviewed or reviewed the medical record, all 41, 100%, had vaped uh, illicit THC. Now, a number of them also vaped legal nicotine, but um, uh, all of our cases that we've either interviewed or reviewed medical records had vaped illicit THC. And, you know, can you explain um, what illicit THC is? So, yeah, so THC is the chemical component of marijuana that, you know, gets you high. That's the psychoactive component. And it can be, it can be extracted from the marijuana uh, leaves. Uh, and then um, so the drug dealers, the drug manufacturers will extract it and then put it in a um, vaping juice or an e-cig juice so that it can be vaped. Um, so, you know, the hypothesis is that what's causing the illness is that um, 
they somehow contaminated uh, the uh, vape juice or the e-cig juice, and that's what's causing the severe lung injury. Um, some some chemical component or contaminant of that of that uh, vape juice or e-cig juice. Now, in 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 other states, and you hear in the national news, you hear that you know they have cases that uh, only vaped legal nicotine. But you have to kind of look at that a little carefully. So if you're interviewing, you know, a 16 or 17 year old, and you're asking them, you know, what did you vape? Um, they might not admit that they were vaping an illegal product, uh, illicit THC, or you know, their mother and father in the next room, they may want not want to divulge that they've been vaping, you know, THC. So even when you hear nationally that not all of the cases in the country um, say they vaped illicit THC. Um, Got to kind of look at that a little bit, you know, carefully. Uh, in Minnesota, again, all of the ones we interviewed or reviewed records on to date did vape illicit THC. And you know, the lung injuries that we're seeing—do um, we have? I mean, do we? We know it's linked to vaping, or we think it's linked to vaping. But what what's happening? Well, these are very severe lung injuries. As I said, you know, 44 of our 45 confirmed and probable cases were hospitalized, and half of those were in the ICU. And uh, we're still looking at records, but at least uh, nine or ten uh, were ending ending up on a ventilator, and some were on a ventilator for several weeks. Um, so very severe lung injury. You know, it might start off uh, in uh, our cases and other cases nationally. kind of starts off a little... Um, you know, um, maybe a little bit of shortness of breath, maybe uh, maybe some nausea, maybe some um, some diarrhea, uh, and uh, so you might they might go to an urgent care clinic thinking it might be a, some sort of a mild infection of some sort. But then, typically, they come back to the emergency room, and then typically, then they're admitted because they're having severe uh, chest pain, severe shortness of breath, um, and you know, and then you know, when they get tested, you know, they're obviously having some severe uh, hypoxia, you know, low oxygen in their blood. So it's, it's a very uh, severe lung injury that, that occurs um, uh, and, and that, um, you know, results in them being hospitalized. And then, you know, I was going to ask from the, from the cases that you folks have been seeing there at the state, um, do we have any idea of how long these folks have been vaping for, I mean, when it comes to these lung injuries? Yeah, so in Minnesota, our, our cases, you know, we have um, some that have been vaping for a long time and some cases that, um, you know, just started vaping and then ended up getting sick. Um, so it, it, it's um, it, it's difficult to, you know, to investigate this outbreak because you're asking about basically an illegal product. And then the product that they vape, you know, we do ask them what, what's, you know, word, you know, what's the name of your product and, what, you know, and also, uh, and so many people are vaping um, many different illicit vaping products. And then when you try to find out if they tell you they vaped a, a product, you know, it turns out these illicit products and, you know, yesterday there was this big drug seizure, you know, you can look, it's, it looks like, you know, it's a package, it has a name on it, um, you know, it has a flavor on it, but it turns out that you can buy those empty packages and those empty fake car- cartridges or a drug dealer, a drug manufacturer. And so you could have the exact same box, exact same cartridge um, used by 10 different drug manufacturers or drug dealers, illegal drug manufacturers. 
And so even that's not reliable. So it's very difficult to try to investigate this, to try to associate a single illicit product or a single name of an illicit product with illness because people are vaping multiple products and the product that they even name, uh, one one person might name, you know, a vape product A, and then the, a second case might also name A, but it, it turns out they're they're actually made by different illegal drug dealers or drug manufacturers. Very, very difficult to investigate this this uh, outbreak. Thanks again to my guest, Rich Danilla, with the Minnesota Department of Health. And before I pass it back to you, Scott, some good news to report. On Monday, nearly $4 million worth of illegal THC vaping cartridges were seized from a Minnesota residence. A 22-year-old Coon Rapids man was arrested and charged after officers seized 76,972 THC vaping cartridges, again worth nearly $4 million. Kudos to that law enforcement team. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns in a minute. Who might you save? Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, aunt, son. Learn fast. F-A-S-T. The sudden signs of a stroke and you could save. Your friend, your best friend, teacher, boss, coach. F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. F-A-S-T. Face, arm, speech, time. That's F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. The sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of... Your neighbor, the waiter, a fellow shopper, a total stranger, grandmother, grandfather... So learn F-A-S-T, the sudden signs of a stroke, then pass it on, because you never know who might save you. Your wife, your colleague, teammate, mother. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. We're gonna win twins. We're gonna score. We're gonna win twins. Watch that baseball sword. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Minnesota Twins captured the American Central Division title on Wednesday night with a win in Detroit. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm revisits the fun night. Scott, Twins radio announcer Corey Provis caught up with Twins team president Dave St. Peter in the clubhouse amidst Wednesday's post-game celebration. We last did this in Cleveland in 2017, but this time doing it as division champs. Congratulations. Thanks, Corey. Uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it, it makes a huge difference winning the division. Dunseed Cleveland. I think we have great respect for the Indians organization, and you know we. I think we were the best team from day one in this division. I think we we earned this and deserve this team deserved the division championship, and uh, we're going to celebrate tonight. We have more to accomplish, and uh, I know our guys are hungry. And fitting that it happens on Rocco Baldelli's 38th yeah. birthday. How about that? You know, I told Rocco tonight. I said thank you for taking a chance on us. He had options to go to other places. He chose Minnesota. The dinner we had with him to recruit him to come to Minnesota, I'll never forget it. And um, it's paid off in spades. He's assembled a coaching staff, and um, we think he's a difference maker. And ultimately, the Twins couldn't be happier to have Rocco Baldelli as our manager. This was such a desirable job, but what was it about Rocco that stood out during the interview process? In the end, why was he the right pick? The way he connected with people. It was very clear that he had a plan to connect with players the way he was going to assemble his coaching staff, the way he was going to interact with our front office, 
the way we're going to try to help unlock talent with our team. Um, I think Rocco's uniquely positioned to be a successful manager in today's game. We've had a lot of candid conversations over some tough years, and you said that for a team that's lost an average 91 games since their last division championship, the brand has been tarnished a little bit. But this kind of season will turn things around, no? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. I think the Twins fan base is re-engaged. We saw it this year with attendance. We saw it with radio listenership. Television ratings were the best in baseball. People are excited about Twins baseball. They're excited about what can happen over the next month. And uh, I know this. I'm going to be listening to you and Danny and uh, every minute of the way. Sounds good. Dave, congratulations. Hey, congratulations. It's a great night for the Twins. One of the players that fueled the turnaround from 2018 to 2019 was pitcher Jake Odorizzi. He struggled in 2018, but turned himself into an all-star pitcher this season. Provost caught up with him as well. First time for you. Postseason. A lot of work to make this happen. Expectation compared to the reality is what? I think they pretty they match up pretty well. I mean, our expectation to start this year was to win the division. We knew it was up for grabs this year more so than other years, and we just need to come out and play our game. We had a lot of guys that are coming off of some uh, some not so great years or someone they're not happy about. So there's a lot of hunger about this team, and to go out there and you know kind of establish our uh, our mantra, our mo, if you want to call it whatever you want to call it, early on in the year where we just started beating the cover off the ball. That's kind of how it started, and it really kind of. Uh, it spawned from there, and we knew what type of team we were capable of being, and this is you know, where we saw ourselves at the end of the year. The offseason, the, shiz, the, the uh, decisions you made to change up everything, to go see Randy Sullivan, this is the payoff, right, when you get to do this tonight? Absolutely. I mean, this is what everybody works for. Obviously, we've documented a little bit of my offseason, but everybody that was here had a big offseason to get prepared for this season. So it takes everybody in this room to get to where we're at right now, and everybody has a special place on this team and like I said we, we wouldn't be here without every single person in this room contributing at some point or another. Can you pinpoint and maybe it's not just one thing maybe it's a variety of things what was working what has been working so well for you to put up the numbers you have all summer long? I think just establishing that consistency you know confidence is a it's a crazy thing of you know you you start seeing things in a different light when you start seeing what you're capable of and you know, I'd be lying if I totally didn't tell you that, you know, the All-Star game might have changed my mindset a little bit of the player that I can be and the player I can be moving forward. So it just gives you that extra bit of, of thought process that, you know, that there's a reason why things are going well and there's no reason why we can't continue to get better. So uh, I'm going to continue to work and continue to get better. But, man, I, I'm really happy for everybody in this room right now. It takes a lot of you know special people to contribute to a team like this, so I couldn't be happier for the rest of the guys in the room. Right, one more, then we'll let you go. Continue the celebration because people point to the offensive numbers; they're off the charts. But this also, this Twins pitching staff, more strikeouts than they ever have in team history. Not just your role, Jose, the staff, but the bullpen too. When everybody was saying, "Hey, they need more bullpen arms," they trusted some guys internally. Yes, Sergio Romo was panned out. Dyson did not; he's hurt. But some younger players have really stepped up here as the season's played out. Yeah, uh, that's exactly it. From a pitching side, you have to be happy with the production that everybody's given. From the starting rotation throughout the entire year to the bullpen arms, Trevor May, a huge piece for us. Tyler Duffy, just as big of a piece. And the way he's transformed into that reliever role and really become a lockdown setup guy for Raj. And the step that he's taken forward, I mean, and you obviously Romo's been doing it for years. So, I mean, we have four guys at the back of the pen that are ready to lock down a game at any point. So from our standpoint as a starting staff, we bridge the gap to them, and we're, we're very confident when they come into the game. The Twins will open the American League Division Series late next week. 
Scott? Thank you, Mike. Go Twins! We'll be cheering for you every step of the way. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station. 